so happy that you're here with us today. Now it's time to get started, so please stand and get ready to worship. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to New Vine Community Church. We're very happy to have each and every one of you here with us today, and welcome to those who are watching online today as well. And if you are watching online, uh, there's still time to get here after service for the pig roast. All right, I'd like to invite everybody to stand. We'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll get started with worship. Lord, we want to thank you for bringing us all together here today safely. I want to thank you for everything you've done in our lives throughout the week and everything we know you'll continue to do. We just ask that you come be in our midst today to worship you. In your name we pray. Amen.
name's Allie, and we're glad you're here. If you're new here, go ahead and pick up one of these forms from the seat back in front of you, fill it out, and drop it in the offering bag as it goes through. The New Vine Youth Laundry Soap Sale runs until next Sunday, September 24th. Can pay with cash, check, card, or digital payments. See the tech booth for the order form and check out the good deals we have to offer. Thank you. The What If Jesus Was Serious class begins October 2nd. This is an eight-week class. You can sign up on the form in the seat back pocket and put it in the offering or give it to Chuck if interested. the announcements. If you need any more information, go to our website or pick up a bulletin. Thanks for being here and enjoy the service. Good job. So like Good morning. Good morning the rest of you. You guys good? Somebody dropped an ink pen. Mark's supposed to preach today, right? He's going to preach really quick because I'm hungry. I'm just kidding. Um, let's see, a couple things coming up. Uh, we're starting a series in a few weeks called uh, What If Jesus Was Serious? And there was a class on Monday night. You can sign up for that. We In our church, we don't have a church membership. We do a covenant every year. We kind of do a little renew our covenant thing. And so next, next Sunday is our covenant Sunday where we talk about things that we do. And then we make a commitment to, that we work together for another year, right, and tolerate each other. And stuff, it'll, it'll be good. So don't forget that next week. Um, let's see what else is there on this thing. Um, I think that's it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, on, uh, October the 5th from, uh, Talbert House is doing a, a QPR training. It's a suicide prevention training thing. So if you're interested in that, it's going to be a cool thing on, on that. I think it's a Thursday night. Okay. So if you're a guest today, thanks for hanging out with us. Stay and eat. Uh, the pig is on its I hope so. My son Luke's supposed to pick it up at 11. So, so let's say a prayer and we will take up the offering. So Lord, just thank you that we can give to you. Uh, use these gifts, Lord, just to touch people's lives in Jesus name. Amen.
Right. Good morning. How are we doing? You guys doing all right? If you have a Bible, turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter 3. And if you don't have one, it's all good. It'll be on the screen. And today we're going to be finishing up our series on Better Together. And so we're going to look at a, a story from the beginning of the Bible that kind of gives us some insights on relationships and how we can mess them up and perhaps some ways that we can prevent that. Good? So I always like to start off with a little bit of silence just to open our hearts to God. I, if you're like me, you, you have stuff that you carry around and you, you bring in here and it can get in the way. And so I always like to take a little bit of time just to, to open our hearts up to God. And so make yourself comfortable. If you fall asleep, that's fine. Probably need it. And... uh and then we'll get going. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you come, that you just open our hearts to you right now. So, Father, we thank you for this morning, and Holy Spirit, we just ask that you just come and, and open our hearts to you. We have all kinds, kinds of stuff that's going on in our lives, pains and fears and brokenness, and so we just lay it at your feet, and we just ask for your grace in exchange. So we ask that you just bless our time, in Jesus' name, everybody said, the Bible begins with this story that God creates the heavens and the earth. Now, oftentimes we can get distracted by these old stories. We can find ourselves in arguments about whether or not they happened in six, seven literal days, or did it take billions of years for this universe to unfold. And, and my observation is that when we find ourselves arguing over these details, we end up missing the finer points of the story. And the story goes is that God creates all things. He says, let there be light, and there was light. He separates the light from the darkness. He creates land and water and separates the land and the water from the sky. And then he begins to fill these things that he separated, first with animals and birds and fish but then coming to this ultimate ending of creating mankind in his image. In the second chapter of Genesis, there's a second creation story where he literally forms humanity, this man, from the dust of the ground and he breathes life into him. And... In Genesis chapter 1, there is this refrain over and over again, almost like the chorus of a song. He says, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then when he creates mankind, he says that it is very good. 
But in Genesis chapter 2, he creates this garden and places the man in the garden. And he notices that there's one thing in the garden that isn't good. Does anybody remember? Well, there's the tree, of course. But it's not good that the man is alone. Right? And so the story goes is that he puts Adam to... he. Adam falls asleep. He takes part of his side and splits this Adam into two. Adam and, and later Eve. And that he places them in this garden. And in the garden, he tells them that they are free to eat from any of the trees of the garden. They are free to, to take care of and cultivate this world that he has given them. And that there is this tree of life and there is this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, you're free to eat of anything that you want to, but here's the thing, don't eat of this tree, because when you do, you'll surely die. Story goes that uh, one day a serpent finds himself in the garden, and he says to Eve, he says, did God really say that you shouldn't eat from the trees of the garden? And Eve says, well, no, we're just one tree that we're not allowed to eat of. We're not even allowed to touch it, because when we do, we'll surely die. And and the serpent says to Eve, he says, here's the thing. This is Mark's paraphrased version. Here's the thing. God's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to eat that tree because he knows that if you do, you'll be like him. And so Eve is tempted by this. She sees that the fruit is looks good to eat and can bring wisdom. And so she chooses to eat. And Adam is right there with her with his mouth shut. And it says that she gave him some to eat. By the way, this is a picture. Go back. This is like a live picture from the event. <laughs> they, somebody set up a deer camera. And they walked out in front of it. <laughs> I love it when you guys laugh at my terrible jokes. But the story picks up here. It says this. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked and so they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife, they heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was, and what's it say there? Afraid. Fear enters the story. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. Because I was naked. And so I hid. Now what's interesting here. Is that right after God creates Adam and Eve. It says that they were naked. And they felt no shame. But in this moment. This nakedness. Has become an issue. God says he says who told you that you were naked. Have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, 
What is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The next two verses are directed towards the serpent, which we're not going to deal with this morning. But then God begins to make these observations or these consequences, if you will, towards the man and the woman. He says to the woman first, he says, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. And with painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire and your desire will be for your husband. And he will rule over you. And then he says to Adam, he says, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. And since from it you were taken... For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And so the story begins with this relationship where they're naked and they feel no shame. But very early in the story, because of the the choices that they make, fear enters in, and they experience shame for the first time. Because of this shame, and, and because they... They went against what God had commanded them, if you will, to do. Not only is shame entered into the story, but guilt has entered into the story. And guilt, rightfully so, because they've done something that they weren't supposed to do. To, to feel guilt is to be sorry for something that you've done. Or to feel regret for something that you've done. Does that make sense? Shame is a different story because shame, you feel, the guilt is feeling bad about what you did. Shame is feeling bad about who you are. Does that make sense? And because they have, they've experienced this guilt, because they've experienced this shame, naturally they experience fear and they hide. And so what happens within this story is it's a story about relationships. It's a story about God creating them and desiring to be in relationship with them. And them, obviously, in relationship with God. But because they go against what God has said, because they, in some sense, mess up that relationship, not only does it affect their relationship with God, but what else does it affect? Their relationship with one another. Does this make sense? And so in the garden, they experience nakedness and shame, guilt, and fear. Oftentimes this is called the fall of mankind. Like in your Bible it might even say the fall. There's this curse, if you will, that we unleash into the world because of the brokenness in our relationships. Perhaps you could say it like this. Relational brokenness is the curse that we all deal with. Yeah? You guys have hard times with relationships sometimes? Right? Like, they're hard. Like, being in a relationship with somebody is can be a struggle from time to time. And so a couple of insights simply from this story that perhaps reveal to us why we have such a hard time with one another. First thought here. Genesis 3, 9, 10, he says, But the Lord God called the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. Now, here's the thing about God asking you a question. If God asks you a question, do you think he needs you to answer him so that he can know the answer? 
Probably not. He probably already knows. And so when God asks this question, it's probably because he wants us to take a step back and evaluate and be like, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. Does that make sense? And so in this part of the story, God asked Adam a question, and he says, I was afraid, and so I hid. So perhaps you could say it like this. Our fear of exposure can make us distant. What's going on here? To be naked is more than just the literal, hey, they're walking around naked in the garden. Right? It's to be vulnerable. It's to be exposed. It says that before this relational brokenness enters into the story, that they were naked and they felt no shame, meaning that they were comfortable in their own skin with one another. There was nothing blocking them from the love that they had for one another. But when their eyes are opened and they begin to make their own choices, and that's the point of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, is that we're free to make our own choices. And I don't know about you guys, I make bad ones all the time. They make their own choices, and when they make their own choices, they see the exposure, they see their nakedness, and so they hide, they cover themselves. And isn't this what we do? We're all wearing fig leaves in here. I want you guys to think that I'm smart. I want you guys to think that I'm charming. I want you to think that I'm handsome and whatever else, right? And so there is who Mark really is, and then there is who Mark wants you to think that I am. Does that make sense to you guys? And I I would imagine that we all play this game. I don't want you to really know what's going on in here. And, And so we do this. We all wear fig leaves, and we wear them in different types of ways, whether it be just the personas that we all put out there, or perhaps like a, your Instagram page, your Facebook, right? Put out the good stuff. So I look at everybody's lives on their Facebook, and I'm like, man, everybody's so happy. What's wrong with us, right? Facebook is just a very sophisticated fig leaf. And so we all wear these fig leaves. We all are hiding from one another. We're all standing at a distance because we don't want to be exposed. I don't, I don't want you to know what's really going on. Does that make sense? Now this can mess up our relationships, can it? Because if I can never truly get to who you truly are, or if I never let you know who I truly am, then how could you ever truly love me? Or how could I ever truly experience that kind of love? Yeah? And so that's one thing that can get in the way with our relationships is this standing at a distance, covering ourselves, putting out this persona that we want people to believe when really perhaps we're something else. Yeah? Second observation. God asks the man what's up and he says this. He says, well, here's the deal. It's the woman that you put here with me. She gave me some of the fruit of the tree and I ate it. And so typical man here, right? This ain't my fault. This is your fault. I was doing just fine with the animals. It was perfectly fine. 
And then you want to throw this chicken here and it's got all crazy since then. And so, God, this isn't my fault. This is your fault because I it was good. And then you did this. Then God says to Eve, to the woman, what have you done? And she, you know, she sort of owns up. She goes, well, here's it. I got deceived. It was the serpent that deceived me. And so Adam and Eve, they're hiding because they realize that they've done something that has hurt God. They've done something perhaps to lose the approval of God. And so they're hiding. And when they get exposed, what do they do? They start pointing the finger. They start blaming, blaming God, blaming the snake, blaming one another. So perhaps you could say it like this. Our fear of disapproval will often make us defensive. And so you have fear, you have shame, you have guilt. And when it gets exposed, what do they do? They start pointing the finger at one another. And so, I, you know, if you're like me, you find yourself doing this. You start blaming other people, right? Like, do you guys say this to your kids? You're about to make me mad. Don't do that. You're going to make me mad. You don't want to see me mad, right? Is your kid really, like, are you giving your kid that much control, right? And, And so, instead of blaming other people for the problems that we have, what does it look like to just look at ourselves and say, okay, here's what I need to do? And so you have this. You have this distance that they've created. They're hiding in their fear. And then they find themselves defensive and po- pointing the finger and blaming one another. And then it continues in Genesis uh, 3.16. This is an interesting insight here. He says to Eve, he's, first off he says this. That when you have children, it's going to be painful. And so... I think this is more than just simply the pain of, of pregnancy and the pain of childbirth. But I think it is, it's more of this reality of this beautiful relationship that you have. This beautiful relationship that you have that should bring you so much joy through life. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. And so not only is it just the pain of the childbirth, but it's the pain of raising children. It's the decisions that they make that break your heart and all those little things. And and so there's that going on. But then God also says to Eve, he says that you're going to desire, your desire will be for your husband. But here's the thing. He's going to take advantage of it. He's going to rule over you. And so there's this power dynamic, if you will, in the situation. And this isn't just simply men to women. This is, this is both, right? We both, we can take advantage of one another. And so perhaps you could say it like this. Our fear of losing control can make us demanding. And so Adam has lost control. And what is he doing? Well, he's going to take advantage. He's going to be demanding. He's going to manipulate. He's going to 
try to rule over this situation. Does that make sense? Yeah? This is what it's like to raise teenagers, by the way. Have you noticed? Like the older and crazier they get, the more crazy I get. Like, ah, you can't do that or you can't do this. But I've noticed over the years that the more controlling I am, the worse they get, right? Have you ever met that kid who just rebels? Why? Probably because they had parents that were terribly controlling. And so it's learning how to, to let go of that control and to trust. And so in this story, you have guilt and shame and fear that is unleashed into our lives. Because of this guilt, shame, and fear, when they are exposed, they blame one another. Now, we could take this a step further because you, if you go to the Cain and Abel story, it unfolds very similarly. But in the end of the story, not only does Cain blame his brother, but what else does he do? He kills him. And so if we're not careful, our blame can step into violence very quickly. And if you take a step back and just observe humanity as it is now in the world that we live in, what is going on. We all struggle with guilt, shame, and fear, blaming one another for our problems and ultimately leading to violence, which is just unleashed on the earth. And so this raises the question, if fear is the main driver here, then what is the antidote for fear? And if you and I, we were created to to be together, that life is better together, and yet all these problems break up our relationships, ultimately rooted in fear, then how do we deal with this fear? John tells us, he gives us an insight on how to deal with fear. He says there is no fear in love. Because perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. See, I think the problem with all of us is that somewhere deep in our psyche, we're afraid of God. We're afraid that we are not approved of. And so because we're, we have this relational brokenness here, it spills out on all of our other relationships. And yet what John says here, because of this incarnation, this reveal of what God is like through this Jesus, is that perfect love has shown up on the scene. And if we trust in that, well, then there's nothing to be afraid of. If this, if this Jesus truly is the face of God and, and through him somehow perfect love has shown up on the scene, then we're in good hands. And we can let fear out the door. Now, you're like, how does that work? How do you overcome certain things, certain fears? I was in the Marine Corps and... uh in boot camp, they, they indoctrinate you. I'm just going to tell you, the Marine Corps is a cult, by the way. <laughs> it's a pretty cool cult, though. But 
regardless, they indoctrinate you. And one of the things that they're constantly sharing with us was stories of Medal of Honor winners. And a lot of those stories would be about a guy jumping on top of a grenade, taking the impact and dying and sacrificing himself to do what? To save the other guys that were with him. Now, when you're in boot camp, you don't get it. You're like, what a crazy person. But when you step into a war zone, these guys that you're with, they become way more than just guys that you're with. They become your family. Now, I don't know about you, but anybody ever hold a grenade in your hand? It's pretty scary. Remember the first time I ever had a grenade in my hand, I thought, well, this isn't fun. What if I drop this thing? And so a grenade is a terribly scary thing. And yet you would have these guys who would sacrifice themselves and jump on a grenade for the sake of their brothers. Why? Well, here's why. Because love casts out fear. Does that make sense? Love casts out fear. And so when you have love for other people, you're not afraid of other things, which is what John is pointing to here. In Christ, love has stepped on the scene. In Christ, love is, is laid on the grenade. So there's nothing for us to be afraid of. Yeah? Good? And so it raises the question for all of us, then, well, if love is the antidote to fear, then how do I learn how to live in God's love? First thought. Where are we at on time? I know you guys are hungry. We're good. We're good. How do we learn how to live in God's love? Three thoughts. First, we have to surrender. Two, we have to remember. And three, we have to learn to offer. Number one, I have to learn to surrender my heart to God. In Proverbs, it says this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Now, what is the writer, the wisdom writer here saying? In the ancient world, the heart was the seat of your emotions. It was the place where you made your choices. Emotions are a good thing, right? We can all agree that emotions are a good thing. But when we allow our emotions to drive the bus, if you're like me, you end up in a ditch. And so it's probably better to think of our emotions as lights on the dashboard. Oh, the check engine light's on. I probably ought to take care of that. Or unless you're like me, you just drive around anyway with it on all the time. But my emotions in many ways function like the lights on the dashboard. And when they start lighting up, I probably need to step back and take a look at it. Does that make sense? Now, I don't let them drive. Or at least I try not to. And so what the writer is saying here is that our heart, the seat of our emotions, we have to surrender it to God. We have to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding. And in all of our ways, we learn to submit our heart to him and that when we do, he will make our path straight. And so how, how do we do this? 
Well, first, we just have to surrender. Every day, maybe every moment, I have to surrender what I want to do to God. Because what I want to do most of the time is not going to be a good thing, right? I remember working as a kid for the city of Franklin. We had this uh, supervisor named Les, and I hated him. Like, I wanted to kill him. Like, I had plotted how to kill Les. That's how bad I hated him. I know, I sound like a psychopath. I'm sorry. Let me put the fig leaves back on. Now, as an older person now, I get it. I understand his frustration with us because we were idiots. And if I had had to try to supervise guys like us, I would have been a, a crazy person as well. Give you an example. On my first day working for the city, we were mowing grass and mowing water towers around town. And uh, I grew up with Chuck Wolfenberger as my dad, so he never taught us how to do anything mechanically. And so they're like, here's a trailer, here's some mowers, or like, you know, go mow these, these water towers. So we didn't, I don't, we didn't know how to load it, so I just put the trailer on. I didn't know you had to latch it down. No one told me that. No one showed me that. I had no idea. So we're driving down. We were just down uh, up on Pinnerill Hill mowing a water tower up that ways. And now we're coming down 2nd Street. And at the time, there was still only like two lanes. And we're getting ready to turn left to go mow this other tower. And I turn our truck left. And I notice that as we're turning left, our trailer's popped off the truck and has drived into a person's yard. And Les was not very happy about this, to say the least. And we did this kind of stuff all the time. Like, I had one friend who filled up a, a, a diesel truck full of regular gasoline. Like, this was just the dumb stuff that we would do, and he wanted to kill us, and in hindsight, rightfully so, right? The point of the story is this. I didn't like Les. Like, not only did I not like him, I hated him. And if I would allowed my own emotions to work themselves out, well, then that would have been a bad thing, right? Anybody ever allow your emotions to drive the bus and it ends up in a ditch? Yeah. And so if we're going to learn how to live in the love of God, it begins by surrendering every day our hearts to him. Which leads to the next thought. Not only do we learn to surrender our hearts, but we also have to remember that God loves us. I have to remember every day that God loves me. In Romans chapter 5, it says this. It says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now let's backtrack this for a second couple of things here. First, let's talk about God's love. It's almost impossible, I would say it's impossible, to love other people if you don't love yourself. Does that make sense? Because you can only love as far as you can go. You can only love as far as you receive love. 
And so it's impossible for me to love other people if I'm still struggling with the guilt, shame, and fear of myself. And so how do I get to a place that I can love myself so that I can love other people? Well, I have to begin to believe that I am worthy of love. And the only place that you can learn to believe that you are worthy of love is opening up your heart and allowing God to love you. And when we open our hearts up and allow God to love us, warts and all, as we allow the love of God to transform our fear and transform our guilt and transform our our shame and, and pain, it begins to free us up. And as we begin to allow that love, to just embrace that love to free us up, we begin to see that we are worthy of love. And when we begin to see that we are worthy of love, we now have what we need to truly be able to love other people. Yeah? And so it begins there. While we were yet still sinners, meaning when we still believed that we were not worthy of love because we were still crippled by the guilt, shame, and fear that we all carry around, Christ still died for us. Christ still loved us. It begins there. We love because he first loved us. But remember that this garden story is about a relational curse. And in that curse, they experience nakedness and shame. They experience guilt. They experience fear. And they ultimately blame one another, leading to violence in the end. Jesus reverses this curse on the cross. He's naked, exposed. In the same way that we're all naked and exposed. He experiences the shame that we all experience. Though he is guiltless, he receives the punishment for the guilt that we all carry around on the cross. On the cross, he's afraid. If you remember, he cries out a prayer, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so on the cross, Jesus experiences the same thing that we all experience, the shame, the guilt, the fear, and yet he stops the curse there. Because where you and I would have blamed anybody else, and where you and I would have called the armies of heaven to come down and get revenge, what does he do there? He doesn't blame anyone. He doesn't call for violence. He says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And in that moment, he dies. The Easter story tells us is that through that death comes this resurrection. Through that moment, he reverses this guilt, shame, fear, curse that we all experience. And so we surrender our hearts to God. We remember that we are loved by God. And then the third thing, we learn to offer that same love to others. John 13, Jesus says this to his disciples as he's having his last supper with them. He says, a new command I give to you, 
love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And so we receive the love of God that transforms our hearts to a place where we realize that we are worthy of this love. And then we take that same love that we've been given and we offer it to others. And instead of hiding and staying at a distance because I'm afraid of being exposed, I can live with no shame. I can live open and honest with other people. And when I get exposed and when I get called out for my, I about said a bad word, for my nonsense, instead of pointing the finger at other people, I can just own up and be like, you know what, you're right, I was wrong in this situation. And when I find it feels like my life is out of control and I want to take it back and I want to manipulate, I want to demand that people get in line and act the way that I want them to act, I can be free and trust that, wait a minute, God's not only in my story, but God is also in their story. And I don't have to manipulate and I don't have to control and I don't have to be demanding and I can let them be free. And I can trust that somehow in the end, however it goes, that it's all going to be good. Yeah? And, and so, you guys hungry? <laughs> Me too. One last thought. The very beginning of the story is about relationships. And in that, that story, God proclaims that it's not good for us to be alone. And that's why it's better that we live together. Yeah? And so it's learning how to do that. You guys done? I'm done. Two questions. What's God saying to you? And what's one thing that you can do about it this week? In what ways do you still stand at a distance with other people, not wanting to be exposed? In what ways do you still point the finger and get defensive when people call you out? In what ways... Do you find yourself demanding and controlling? And in what ways can we allow the love of God to transform our hearts so that we can live free? And so let's take a few moments simply to reflect on that, and then we're going to share communion together. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you come, that you speak to our hearts in these next few moments.
All right, thank you. If you have one of these, grab it and take it out. These are the harder ones to open. I got exposed in the first service and couldn't open it up. Then I got real nervous and embarrassed and put my fig leaves on. Mom says if you take the tab and click it down real hard, it'll break the seal. So, But every week we do this, we take part in this reminder that we are all welcome at Jesus' table. And if you're a guest, our custom, we, we practice what's called an open table, meaning that if you're willing to take part, then you're welcome to take part. For us, our observation is that you had one person at, at Jesus' Last Supper who betrayed him, and yet he was welcome. You had another one there in Peter who denied him, and yet he was welcome. And all the rest of the knuckleheads, they all deserted him, and yet they were all welcome. And so for us, if you're willing to take part, then you're welcome to take part. And every week we pray this prayer as a, a reminder um, of how to get back on track. And so pray this with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup of wine. He said, This is the blood of the new covenant that's been shed for you. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, do this in remembrance of me. Later, reflecting on this, the Apostle Paul said that every time that you and I, we gather and we take this bread and we drink from this cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. Which means we remember what Jesus did, that he was broken and poured out on the cross for the sake of the world. And that we're reminded that as the body of Christ, every day we are called to take part, to be broken and poured out. For the people in our lives. And so take the bread, look at the person next to you and say, the body of Christ was broken for you. Now the cup, the blood of Christ shed for you. All right. Directions? I said, do these people need directions? All right, there you go. There's your directions. Oh, welcome to stay. So, so I'll stand and you can grab hands with the person next to you if you like. And we will pray and eat. And so, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you created us to be in relationship with you and with one another. May we learn to believe that. May we learn that we are better together. And so we ask that you just be with us this week as we go. Father, we ask that you bless the hands that prepared this food. 
Holy Spirit, we ask that you guide and keep us. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. See you guys.